When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. It's Wednesday, December 21st. Derek Van Riper. Bridgeroli, Eno Saris here with you, and I think we all woke up to some very surprising news this morning. Carlos Correa is now headed to the Mets. We got a notification yesterday that the Giants were postponing his introductory press conference, and it seemed like that was a bit unusual just based on some of the uh, circumstances and the very brief nature of the communication from the Giants, which Eno had passed along on Twitter. But I did not think within 24 hours, Carlos Correa would have a new team. And I certainly didn't think it was going to be the Mets. So, Eno, I'll start with you. What the heck happened here? And how surprised were you when you got that first notice from the Giants that the press conference was postponed? Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. The Giants are one of the few teams that actually puts terms uh, from the contracts in their press releases when they announced contracts. A lot of teams uh, play that closer to the vest. Uh, they're generally a team that's pretty communicative. And then you get this one line, today's press conference has been canceled. And immediately, uh, my spider sense was tingling. Like, this was definitely something more than, um, you know, and then started coming out. They're waiting for test results. And so I thought, you know... Uh, at this point in the pandemic, I think it's, I would say, I, I hope it's COVID. It's a weird thing to say, but like, you know, that would just be uh, for him, probably not have that bad of an outcome. And it would just be something that they postpone the conference and it's just going to happen next week or something, you know, um, that's sort of where my head was at. But then it came out that it was something in the physical and Susan Slusser has reported that it was uh, something that was pre um, major leagues. And that makes a little bit of sense because uh, sometimes those things are so old that they don't show up in a regular sort of scan of what's happened in this player's career. You don't think of. And so, you know, everyone's thinking that it was the back. But I think it, it from, you know, that Susan Susser report and some sourcing that I've got, uh, I think it's more likely it was a big, devastating ankle injury that Carlos Correa had in 2014 in high A that was so bad that uh, they flew him to Houston, ended the season uh, and discussed all sorts of options for, you know, they were on high alert, as one news news uh, clipping uh, put it. So, you know, that's something that, you know, it hasn't flared up since. He hasn't had bad ankle problems. I I have talked to him uh, at times where he said the ankle was sore, and you, you can actually see it in his exit velocities. That's something we've talked about on Rates and Barrels and here before. Uh, so I guess his ankle has flared up from time to time, and it hasn't necessarily shown up on an IL stint. But there's still more to the story. There's got to be. There's more to the story because, you know, they were at 350 and, you know, maybe you just say the last year or two has to vest or you 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 change the number slightly. But an ankle injury, I just don't think is something, especially for somebody you don't expect to stay at shortstop for a very long time. He's already he's 28. You'd expect him to stay 31, 32. That's how long shortstops play shortstop. There's not that many. There's like one 33-year-old shortstop in baseball this year. His name is Elvis Andrews, and he's not going to be a shortstop next year. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, I, I think you would be fine with an ankle injury. Uh, maybe they just, uh, you know, wanted to change the number. A lot of people are saying that the cold feet were on the Giants' side. Uh, my sourcing is is uh, not sure that's the case. Here's the thing that I thought of initially, guys. And by the way, when I read this at first, I thought it was like some fake news report. Like on my Twitter timeline, I was like, Mets and Carlos Correa? What? Um, so Scott Boris is the best agent in the game, right? You can like him, not like him. I think we can all admit the guy's good at his job. I think as soon as the Giants started to get worried about the ankle injury, as Eno is talking about, and tried to maybe change the parameters of the deal, 
The Mets have been interested. The Athletic was the first outlet that came out and really said strongly, Steve Cohen and the Mets have a lot of interest in Carlos Correa, that he would move positions to play with his buddy Francisco Lindor. So as soon as this is all going on, you know Scott Boris is on the phone with other suitors. You know he's telling Steve Cohen, hey, you thought you this one got away. Well, in fact, the door is ajar for Correa. And we know because Steve Cohen said to John Heyman of the New York Post that he felt like they needed one more player. And it was reported that he was upset that they got in late on Carlos Correa. So I think this is a confluence of a bunch of different events here. And, you know, one is the Giants obviously seeing that on the physical and trying to be like, hey, let's make this a little less of a risk on our part. And Scott Forrest saying, oh, wait, 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 you guys are having second thoughts? Well, here's another guy who's really interested, who has a seemingly limitless pool of money. And that's how the Mets got in and got involved in this all. There's no, I mean, this all went down in a couple hours. Steve Cohen's on vacation in Hawaii, closes the deal on this very quickly. Probably not leaving, Over a martini. Right, probably not leaving <laughs> the Giants, really, the or any team, the opportunity to get back in on Carlos Correa. To me, this was all orchestrated masterfully by the puppeteer that is Scott Boris. And I think uh, the, the, the most unfortunate part about it is that for San Francisco, there's the reality of coming off a 500 season where the Mets went to the postseason. That's going to be something that a player prefers as a postseason team. Uh, there's the reality of California taxes, which are higher than he's going to probably deal with in New York. There's a reality of New York being closer to Puerto Rico. There's just a reality of, you know, how players probably perceive San Francisco and New York. And so as soon as those numbers started to get together, at one point it was 350 and 300 or something like that, right? Yeah. So if the Mets come to 315 and the Giants are coming down off of 350, you know, once you factor in the tax ramifications, the, you know, then the player can say, where do I want to play? You know, and so I think that's sort of reading between the lines, using some of my sourcing. There was, I think we're going to have more on this now. We have Scott Boris's perspective up on the, on the on the site right now through Ken Rosenthal, but I know uh, we're working on another piece. Uh, there's going to be more to this, but I think just reading between the lines, it has something to do with sort of a confluence of some negative events um, and, and something for the Giants to to think about. Um, you know, is is how to market themselves, how to market their city, how to use their city uh, as an advantage, uh, how to uh, how to market themselves better to the big free agents because it it has. They're now sort of 0 for 3 on high-profile free agents uh, in the last couple of years that they've tried to, to woo. So uh, there is something, I think there is something there that they need to consider when they're looking at free agents in the future. There's going to be a big one next year, and they're going to be in on Shohei Otani. How are they going to do that? Here's the thing, though, and I think this is what it comes down to, too, is the ownership group. You heard Justin Verlander when asked why the Mets. He said Steve, meaning Steve Cohen. So... If you're going to go to a team for a long time, you, the ownership group factors in here, right? And so I think I was on, uh, did a bunch of radio this morning, and they asked me, if Steve Cohen gets in his mind that he wants Otani, does anybody else have a chance? Because he's going to outbid everybody else, and he doesn't care. So it's true. So maybe the Giants do really want Otani. But if the Mets want him, the Mets are going to get him because their owner has shown that he is going to go out and outspend everyone, and it doesn't matter. And so I think, too, if you're Carlos Correa and you're thinking, what ownership group is going to continue to invest? I think every group says they want to win, right? That they're going to, they want to win a, you know, they want to field a competitive team every year. That's, you know, the same ownership organizational speak. Steve Cohen has gone out and proved his words. He has said, I want to invest in this team. I want to win. And then he's done it and he's spent. So if someone told you you had to spend the next 10 to 12 years, really, let's really finishing out your career somewhere. Would you rather go to San Francisco or would you rather go to New York? If you want to win, you're going to want to be with Steve Cohen in his Mets now. And I don't think that it's close. I think San Francisco, you're right, you know, has to do a better job at luring stars. They also have to do, you know, a better job at, at and a lot of these organizations do, at the commitment to winning. You know, like not just saying we're going to have Correa and then a whole bunch of other guys who aren't making any money and hope it all fits together this one year because we have no margin for error, right? That's like the Minnesota Twins with Carlos Correa. If you want to sign a star and you want to keep a star, and Carlos Correa is a star. He likes the spotlight. He likes the attention. He likes winning. He was the most vocal part of the Houston Astros scandal. So to me, him going to New York was an easy fit. To any player, 10 to 12 years in the Mets or the Giants right now, the Mets look like the much better place to be. 
their luxury tax bill is higher than the salaries for like, you know, the salary payrolls for like five teams. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're definitely willing to go to the mat. And so, yeah, I can, I can see that happening. I think for the Giants, um, I think unfortunately the, the thing to do is what they've done so far is just to improve, uh, to spend money, small amounts uh, to keep getting better. And then hopefully you put together a couple hundred win seasons with these smaller players and you can actually lure, you know, like what if they go out there this year and win another 95 to 100 games, then they're a little bit more likely to, to be able to get Otani, you know? So they, you know, the, the answer I think is just to win. And to consider, uh, you know, some maybe consider some interesting financial outlays that they haven't done in the past. I saw it a little bit with Mitch Haniger. Mitch Haniger took half of his original of his uh, of his next year's salary in in a salary bonus, and I think that the Giants should do more of that, where they give you a huge bonus up front. Give give a player a thirty million dollar bonus, a fifty million dollar bonus. That's a lot for a, a team to just you know hand over in one check. But what it'll do is for the player, they can receive that check as someone who doesn't live in California. And so that can be a real way to equalize things. Plus, if you start talking to, to the big free agents and say, we'll sit, we'll give you $50 million right now, you know, uh, that that can be part of your pitch. You know, so it's like, I'm going to get $50 million right away. Sweet. I'll accept that while I'm standing in Texas you know? <laughs> and I won't pay any income tax on that. Uh, stating income tax on that and then uh and then we'll get to business so i think the i think it's just about a little bit about you know their financial packages and, and a little bit about just winning they got it they gotta start winning is there any in my opinion besides maybe the red sox who's had a bigger dud of an offseason than the giants who lost out on all of these shortstops all the big four i would i would say i put the red sox behind the giants because at least the giants got hanniger stripling and and mania like at least they got some guys i mean what have the red sox done they signed kenley jansen exactly like but to me the these are two big markets these are two teams with good fan bases these are the two losers of the offseason so far no i mean the giants don't get aaron judge the red sox lost xander bogarts too it's not like the giants lost a a big piece and 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 on top of that so yeah i think there's a clear separation but i would i would say yeah Two of the most disappointing off seasons, for sure. I know it's a, a different front office regime than what they had when they won in 2010, 2012, and 2014, but three World Series titles in five years, not that long ago. The Giants aren't some clown franchise that never wins. They, they're a legitimately <laughs> good franchise that exceeded expectations in 2021, fooled me, fooled a lot of other people. I kind of started to believe in 2022 and then got dunked on again when I was wrong. I look at this team and I think they've had a, their offseason's okay. Yes, they've missed out on the stars. Someone's going to miss out on the stars when there are more teams playing like Steve Cohen. When there are more owners operating that way, there are going to be big market runner-ups. It's not going to be an even distribution of talent anymore, right? We're going to have one or two teams swooping in and getting multiple elite free agents. And I don't know if that means that someone necessarily failed. I think the bigger questions for the Giants are, how good is the core they have in place right now? Would they be a for sure playoff team even if they've been able to follow through and get the Correa deal done? And my answer to that is no. I don't think they were a guaranteed playoff team. I think they're a contender. And I think even now they're probably a, a wild card contender as they're currently constructed if they can do it kind of similar how they did two years ago. But we don't know how sustainable that model is. We also don't know how much they're going to put on their two best prospects. We'll probably see Kyle Harrison at some point in 2023. I don't know if we'll see Marco Luciano. So. I don't know. I, just, I look at the group of young players they have in the organization. I'm not necessarily sold that they're overloaded with talent. And maybe this ends up being a good thing based on where they're at right now. Like the, It's hard to say that, but I almost I, I kind of looked at them and said they, they need to do two big things this offseason if they were really going to try and close the gap on the Dodgers and Padres. One big thing would have certainly helped, but it still might not have been enough. Yeah, I think it's almost a little bit like the Rangers where it's like, you know, when they added, uh, you know, Seager and Simeon and you say, well, can they pitch, you know, for the for the Giants when you add Correa it's like, can he play center field? Um, and the answer is no. Um, and the answer right now in Mike Yastrzemski is, is less than ideal, I think, for a team, you know, to be now and now without Correa, Brand Crawford and Mike Yastrzemski at the middle is one of the oldest uh, you know, up the middle pairings there. And 
I think that it is one of those old baseball things that you do want to be true, that are true, that you do kind of want to be good up the middle. Um, as much as that's sort of baseball 1.0, like you do kind of want to be good up the middle and they aren't that great up the middle right now. They're a little bit old and not, and not great defensively. And that's going to be a defensive problem again from the next year. So yeah, they do need those guys to, to approach, but you, you also like the Rangers. you like the idea or like the Padres with Manny Machado. You like the idea of signing one guy first, you know, and getting better and then signing a second guy next, you know, like if you're Otani, it would have been much better if the Giants had gotten Correa, gotten better, and then and then you know you're like, hey, we already spent on Correa, we've proven we will spend big. Come on, Otani, we'll spend big again after you. That's what you were talking about, Britt. Yes. They want to know that there's going to be a continued dedication to spending and improving, and that's what to happen. Sometimes you have to get the first guy to take the bag. That's what the Giants are in this problem right now is that no one's going to be the first guy to take the bag. And in San Diego, the first first guy to take the bag was Eric Hosmer. And, you know, the only way I could make sense of that deal was they just need someone to take the bag so that they'll get a second guy, yeah. you know? And it kind of worked out that way because I bet you Eric Hosmer, having spent on Eric Hosmer, helped Manny Machado take that deal. And then, yeah. you know, it didn't turn out well with Hosmer, but they got Machado and then they got other deals after that. And th there has to be a sort of growth and like oh yeah you got that guy and then you got that guy and you still added you know you're not just i'm not going to be the only guy here right and, and you're right no one wants to be like mike trout stuck in anaheim by the team that never wins and otani what little he has said seems like a guy who wants to win right so what's selling him on san francisco especially when you've got a rich owner on a team that says we want to win and backs it up with buying players to win right it's just going to be very difficult i think Matt's gonna go Matt and the Dodgers are resetting their luxury tax it seems like to go after Otani so it's gonna be Mets versus Dodgers for Otani and the Giants are you know it may it may looks it looks like from right right now like they'll be the, they'll be out on another one Yankees and Padres are in there too I think yeah it's, it's almost yeah. like and we talked about Boston earlier right with Raphael Devers right they want to work out an extension but they didn't keep Bogart. So if you're Devers, why are you going to stay? And especially when you hear these reports that they're galaxies apart in money. Uh, if you're Devers, why do you want to be the guy to stay when they wouldn't pay Mookie Betts? They wouldn't pay Bogarts. Like they just keep letting these guys walk. Why do you want to be the one stuck there when they, this ownership group hasn't proven that it's willing to spend money right now? And, and people sort of scratch their head at the Braves deals. And some of those deals do seem very team friendly, but you can see how that happened, you know? Acuna signed the first one. Albies is like, okay, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get as much money as Acuna. That's great. I'll take that, you know. And then you're, you know, the other young guys say, well, they signed all these guys to ten year deals. I want to be here for ten years, winning with them. I like those guys, you know. And then boom, you've got like five guys, six guys signed for ten years. You know, it's like it, these things kind of roll up on each other. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Still more free agents out there. And in the spirit of the season, I think we should maybe gift a free agent or two to a team in need. Seems like a nice thing to do, doesn't it? Seems appropriate. So, Britt, of the remaining free agents that are out there, who would you like to put on a, a new roster before the end of the year? Okay, so I was looking at this earlier, guys, and then I got a little sidetracked because I didn't realize that today was the Aaron Judge press conference, as well as all this Carlos Correa stuff. Um, so give me a second. I'm going to look at these now. You know, you can go. Most of these top, most of these top, top guys, though, are off the board. This is like last second yeah. Christmas Eve shopping for your Christmas gifts. You know what I mean? Like someone yeah. asked me what the Giants can do. Nothing. A lot of these top guys are really off the board. There's no one super exciting that's left. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you know. Go. Yeah, I think on on rates and barrels, we gave the the, the Giants Gary Sanchez. So that's a <laughs> that's a, not quite the uh, the rejoinder that Giants fans. In fact, uh, Giants fans, I'm sure on Twitter uh, will will riot <laughs> when Gary Sanchez is the Gary. is the uh, the follow up plan. Um, I've, you know, I like Corey Kluber, uh, he's out there, but there are a couple guys a little bit like him. Um, so one guy that I think is just a perfect fit for a team 
uh, in that uh, he plays a position that they don't have a guy at. They're going to be a competitive team next year. Uh, and he's also a low ball hitter uh, for a team that is a bunch of high ball hitters. And I'm talking about Segura to the White Sox. Uh, right now they got Romy Gonzalez and I think that's Yolmer Sanchez. Can that be Yolmer Sanchez still? It's Yolbert. <laughs> is Yolbert Sanchez Yolmer Sanchez's brother? Uh, and then there's Lennon Sosa. There's a bunch of people I, do, I, I honestly don't know that much about. Um, and I think Segura, Segura would, uh, would push those guys into kind of utility depth pieces, which would help the White Sox because their depth is not amazing. So, uh, I think it's just a, it's a too much of a fit, uh, now that they've got Ben Intendi to put Segura in there as another guy who makes contact. They were last in the big leagues in strikeout rate last year and, uh, Segura and Ben Intendi together could do a lot to undo that. Yeah, I do think the fit for Segura is a good one. It's not going to take a lot in terms of years or dollars, and it does make the White Sox better because it takes guys that are probably better suited to be in bench roles and actually puts them there as opposed to overexposing them in an everyday role. Uh, a general question for, for both of you, do you think the Astros have enough starting pitching after losing Justin Verlander? And Do you think there's a, a clear need to add a free agent pitcher, or do you think they're totally fine with the internal options they have. I mean, I, I think they've got the innings and they've got the horses to kind of get to the postseason. Um, you know, from Valdez and Christian Javier are also a pretty good one too. Um, you know, when you're going, uh, you know, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, Lance McCullers, and then Hunter Brown, who's a, a virtual copy of Justin Verlander. Um, you know, you could make the case that they do. However, it gets a little bit rough after that. So they really only go six deep. So you can make a case for a depth starter, or you can make the case that they need someone at the top to join those two uh, and give them a legitimate uh, three-pitch mix for a postseason series. So I do think you know they're going to add a starting pitcher. The question is, do you think they need it more at the top or at the bottom? I think a depth piece. There's the, Who's left at the top that's really going to fill... Well, I think I think our man's got a name. I got a guy. Oh, I, I think I think Nathan Evaldi to the Astros actually makes a lot of sense. And I don't think we've spent a ton of time talking about the Verlander replacements. I agree with Eno that mm. you can you can see them getting there with the six guys they have at the top six spots right now. But the way they used Jose Urquidy in the postseason or didn't use Jose Urquidy in the postseason tells us a, tells yes. us a lot about how they feel about him. You have to bake in some injury risk, of course, because of, of Lance McCullers, but you do that with any group of pitchers anyway. Evaldi throws hard. He's a little bit younger than you think. I think he's coming off a, a bit of a down year in Boston. I think it'd actually be a really smart addition for Houston to go out and add Evaldi because then it's Fromber and Christian Javier up top. Evaldi could be the three. McCullers is the four. Garcia becomes the five. And then Urquidy and Hunter Brown are your extra guys. And... If something breaks, something goes wrong, you are really well covered. You shorten up Garcia, in a postseason like, series. Garcia fall off at the end of the series, the season all the time. And and Eovaldi himself, his fastball was not its best at the end of the season, but he does have a good mix of pitches. He has good command of those pitches. Uh, I think he's good for 100, 120 innings. So that's a kind of a perfect guy that those 120 innings are going to be good. He's going to be hurt. You've got other guys. You yeah. know, it's like... You know, it's a it's a pretty good mix of upside when he's healthy and then you put him on the I.L. when he's not. Yeah. Avaldi is a three makes sense. I was thinking you're putting somebody in the top of that rotation, in which case there is nobody left that you can just insert. That's going to be at the top of anybody's rotation. There's just yeah, there's no yeah. one. This list is. Paid I mean, the other option is like Kluber is like a five. Yeah. Is you're doing like some kind of depth starter, though, honestly, when you look at what the Astros have turned out, especially in that international market, which is where they've been able to get these guys because they've gone after older international prospects who are passed yeah. over and they've turned them into, uh, you know, your Kitty Valdez. You know, you're looking at all these guys that they've just been able to, they've become this international pitching factory. So I wouldn't count out whoever they have in their system because of the way that we've seen them develop pitching. Uh, but certainly I like Evaldi. I'm looking at this list, guys, and there's not a whole lot of gifts left on this free agent list. <laughs> um, not a whole lot of gifting. This is definitely, like I said, some last minute shopping when you're going to Target and everything's been ransacked and kicked over. That's the free agent yeah. list right now. Um, is, you know, is your boy Zach Granke going to pitch another year or is he done? Because I'd like to gift him to a team where Eno can see him on the reg. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. That oh, to man, Oakland. You, weird. Would he go to the Astros? I bet you uh, he ends up, uh, you know, signing on the deal with the Royals. I don't think that anybody that's there uh, is is uh, stopping him. And um, you know, I think that honestly, that that coaching staff and development team needs to have more conversations with Zach Cranky. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> they should learn from him. Make him a player coach. Yeah, maybe some nostalgia gifts like Trey Mancini back to the Orioles. He's already won a World Series. Give him back. I would say Will Myers to San Diego, but that's such a crowded infield already that you just like can't just keep jamming guys on that roster. Though I don't know, maybe Jay, maybe AJ Fuller can keep jamming. I think guys Mancini on that is is one of the most underrated guys that's out there. You know? Yeah. Uh, in terms of a bat that I would give two years to, uh, I think there might be Profar, Segura, Mancini. Uh-huh. Those are only the two guys I would give two years to, I think. Yeah, there's just not a whole lot left here. Yeah, I mean, there's been some talk about like Cincinnati and like, you know, maybe he can get a little bit more money from a, a, a second division team or, or a little bit less money for a contender. So I think that's probably what Trey Mancini is looking at right now. Yeah, like Evan Longoria, is he he's going to play again? Yeah. Probably, yeah. If someone wow. gives him a deal, he's definitely one of those guys that wants to stick around, I think. Probably doesn't want to play on a bad team, though. Yeah. What about Evan Longoria to the Rays? Back to the Rays? That's another nostalgia yeah. gift. Remember he signed yeah. that awful deal and then fired his agent? That really team friend uh, extension when he was in the <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, he was the first interview I ever had back in 2008 when I interned for Tampa Bay. Wow. Yeah. So he can't retire because that will officially make me feel old. But thankfully, I'm not sure that there's there's room, but like right now they've got Harold Ramirez as their number one as their DH. Um, and, you know, I could see Longoria. I think I could see pushing Andy Diaz to DH and playing Longoria in the field more uh, would be an upgrade for them. So see, these are nostalgic. These are like, you know, nostalgic. Christmas gifts, Jared. They have meaning. <laughs> Retro stuff is always in, so I think uh, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense to, to go down that road. You think about the other things that could happen in the next few weeks. Trades, of course. Let's do one best trade fit. We'll save some for future weeks. Brian Reynolds wants out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Where is the actual best fit for him? Where do you see Brian Reynolds ending up when the dust clears this offseason? Yo, can somebody just put that guy? I mean, no matter what team he goes to, it, it, honestly, the list for him is big. He's got a really unique skill set. A lot of teams could use Brian Reynolds. If I'm the Pirates, I'm looking at probably double digit suitors for a guy like that. No, you have to think that there's just a lot of, given what's happened this offseason, just a lot of interest in someone like that. Yeah, the, the big question is if he's a center fielder, right? Like, I, you know, there's a bigger market for him if he's a center fielder. What about the Dodgers? I think yeah. they would probably play him more in a corner, but I do think he would fit there. Who haven't really done yeah. much this one. Like, who definitely have the prospect capital right to make a deal done. Uh, I don't know. To me, that would be interesting to see if he gets moved. I also think, like, what about Liam Hendricks in terms of, like, trades? Like, the, I think he'd be great in with the Mets. I think the Mets need, like, one more late-ending reliever. Um, wow. Like that? Those are my wow. squaps. The Liam Hendricks trade timing would be midseason. I don't know, but there, for some reason, there's these rumors that it's now. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where those rumors started, but they signed Andrew Benintendi to a five-year deal, so I don't think they're trading their best reliever. The below-average left field left field uh, contingents on con- on contenders include, or you know, I'm using contenders a little bit loosely here, Rangers. Braves. The Braves have a really poor left field situation right now. They're projected for one win between Rosario, Ozuna, and, and company. Um, you know, that could be an interesting place for the Braves to kind of... The Braves now have to feel some pressure to, you know, return serve for the Mets, right? They're having such uh, a great offseason, though. They got Sean Murphy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. they, don't have, they don't have any glaring weaknesses. They have a few spots yeah. they can get better. But they they've done so much. It's a to glaring make this weakness. I mean, they're they're three to four wins at every position. Like they're really good at every position, and then they have left field one win. Yeah, it is yeah. it is pretty bad when you see how much those options that were previously productive, how much those players have declined. It's like the easiest thing to fill in for, though. 
Yeah. You need a left yeah. fielder. That's what that's about the Yankees? They could just sign. You know, they could sign David Peralta. Yeah. Is the are the Yankees up yeah. there? That would be an interesting pick too. They send him to the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees. Yes, I mean uh, they have fours and sixes. You know they have six in right field, a certain name. Uh, they have a four in center, but they have a, a projected two wins in left, which is average. That could be considered a hole for the Yankees. Yeah, I mean you go, you spend all this money on Judge, you get Rodon. They lost Benintendi, which hurt because they gave up some prospects for him. Uh, why not get Reynolds and sign him to an extension? Right? Isn't that what he wants? Yeah, or just to play somewhere else. That's also true. But like you want to win. All right, let's go. Yeah, and the Yankees right now, the uh the new projection. Oh, this could be uh, like a recurring bit almost. <laughs> Projected team war. Number one, the Mets. Number two, the Yankees and the Padres have fallen to third. Oh, maybe it's time for the Padres to make a move. <laughs> Braves fourth. AJ Preller is gonna make another move. Isn't it great? There's at least a handful of teams that keep trying to just one up each other right now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It is great. Uh, although, you know, for all this hand wringing about, you know, luxury tax and, you know, there's only two teams in the luxury tax right now. Yeah, it's, you know, one of them is way out into it. Yeah. In, in, in the Mets, but it's only the Mets and the Yankees, the only teams that are in the luxury tax going into the season. So there's the, you know, it's not like uh, everything changed all on a dime. Do you still think it's uh it's weird that the Rays, as quiet as they've been to this point, are fifth in projected war for the upcoming season? Mets, Yankees, Padres, Braves, expect all those teams to be there. Rays. Rays ahead of Blue Jays, Rays ahead of Astros, Rays ahead of Dodgers, Rays ahead of Cardinals. I mean, there's you know, one part of it is a really nice projection for Wanda Franco, which he hasn't really it's better than what he's done to date, but that makes sense. He's younger, he should be getting better. He took a little bit of a step back last year. You know, the the, the projection system say he's going to be better. Um, so, you know, the Rays are really excellent everywhere. And then Tyler Glass now coming back is a big deal. Um, they're also kind of a no holes situation where their worst situation is two and a half wins uh, projected in right field. I don't even I can't even name there. Is it Mar- Manny Margot is at the top of that, that chart? Mostly Margot. Yeah, Manny Margot yeah. and, and Josh, Josh Lowe. But. Between Manny Margot, Josh Lowe, Harold Ramirez, you know, it's uh, it's somehow still an above average group of players. Um, and, and so, you know, and Jose Siri, as bad as he is with the bat, he's so good with the glove that he's considered a, a three win player by projection system. So, uh, you know, I would love to give the Rays a center fielder, but they've been trying and it's not, you know, center fielders are tough to get on the market. There's no free agent center fielder they can sign. That's really going to change things for them. And trading for a center fielder is awful. So uh, I don't think there's a real obvious gift we can give the Rays. I like the Rays. I love projections, but I feel like the projections have been hitting the eggnog pretty hard because (laughs) Christian Bethencourt projected for more than two wins. The Siri projection as a, as a backup, yeah. You can sell me on on Wander being amazing this year, even though we haven't seen it at the big league level from him over a full season yet. I can buy that all day long, but I'm having a really hard time with the, the Siri and the Bethencourt projections in particular. Or how about Yandy Diaz and Isak Paredes are going to combine to be a 4.8 win player. Just for, just for, to, for to, to put that in perspective, four wins is an all-star. So somehow Yandy Diaz and Isak Paredes are going to combine... To be an all-star. Yeah. Just don't see it. I like them. I think the glass now return from injury is huge for them because he's a true frontline guy when he's healthy. As long as McClanahan stays healthy, that one too is nasty atop a rotation. That is a duo you do not want to see in October. And with more depth than maybe they've had in the past, where there goes Rasmus and Springs Eflin, and then then you start mixing and matching with the young guys. So it's a real one through five, you know. Guys, can we all agree that eggnog is disgusting? <laughs> I don't. I don't drink like, it. I, I never purchased it myself. Like for the record, drinking something that has just egg in it—it's not. It's just disgusting. No, no. Can we all agree eggnog is gross? I'm not even really that into like those Bailey's drinks, you know. Yeah. I, like I don't. I'm not like a white Russian guy. I've never met a soul who likes eggnog. Have you guys? Who really likes dairy with alcohol? 
I have friends that love eggnog. I have never purchased it. If I go to a party at their house and they've made the You'll eggnog already, I will politely drink some. And it's okay. It, it is weird. It's like drinking a milkshake it's that gross. is just a little off. I don't even like milkshake IPAs, and that's just lactose. That's not even real. That's not even milk. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm with fully you out on the milkshake yeah. IPAs. They're I'm either having good. dessert or I'm boozing, but that boozy dessert like drinks are kind of hard. Yeah, I even have a trouble sometimes with those 20% stouts, you know, I'm just like, woof, like give me a thimbleful. <laughs> I will nurse just it. Just had to get that very important take in there. It was very important to, to share that. So we had an email that came in about a year ago. That's how often I check the, the emails. I check them about once a year. No, actually, this was a good email that made more sense to answer <laughs> when we weren't in a lockout and then the season started and everything came back. That it didn't make any sense to talk about it at all. This email came from listener Jeff, and it's about this thing called the gold plan, which kind of came out of hockey, actually. It's an idea that surfaced, I believe, at the Sloan Analytics Conference a while back. I believe it was Adam Gold was someone that presented this idea. It's a system, instead of using a draft lottery, which encourages losing by awarding the best odds to lose worst teams, you determine draft order based on the number of points that each team earns after being eliminated from the playoffs. So once mm. you're mathematically out of the playoff hunt, your clock begins on banking points toward your top spot or toward, toward your spot in the draft order. So you want to win after you're eliminated? Yes, you want, to, you want to find a way to win once you're mathematically eliminated or basically just not give up, right? So that might, in baseball, that might mean calling up your prospects in August and September if they're just ready to help you win as opposed to keeping them down for service time considerations mm. because by winning those games after you're mathematically eliminated, you accrue points that vault you up in the draft order. So it's a really interesting idea. And Jeff actually did the legwork to run the numbers for the current draft order, which for this year was a draft lottery. And he ran it against actually looking at how this would have played out and how, what the order would have been and based on this year's results, the Cubs would have actually ended up with the first overall pick in the 2023 draft. They actually have the 13th pick. So that's a huge difference. The draft order with the gold plan would go Cubs, Tigers, Marlins, who would be up seven spots yeah. from where they're actually going to draft, Pirates, A's, Angels, Royals, Nats, Red Sox, Reds. So some pretty big changes, a handful of teams, four teams moving up five or more spots as a result of this. So are there any downsides to something like this in place of the lottery? Because I do think the lottery is flawed. I don't, other sports use it. I don't love it as a solution for baseball. And I know the importance of, of draft position in baseball comes down to your draft pool because the bigger your draft pool is, the more flexibility you have with your compensation round picks, your second round pick, your third round pick to possibly go over slot if you get a deal with your first round pick. We've seen a lot of teams do that in recent years. So what do you think about this idea that uh, Jeff relayed to us? So the my biggest issue looking at this is that the teams who are eliminated late suffer, right? Like you look at the record post elimination, Baltimore was two and three, Milwaukee was one and one, and you look and Baltimore would pick 17th. Why shouldn't they be rewarded for trying before they got eliminated? Like they were kind of in it for a little yeah. while, right? Like there should be, it should be capped by teams who were eliminated by X date, right? Cause teams that were eliminated in the last week of the season, I've been around those teams. They're playing, playing, playing so hard. And then they're eliminated. Yeah. The air comes out of the balloon. So they're going to get punished because they didn't play well the last three days of the season. That seems ridiculous. You know, there needs to be and a maybe minimum it could on be... this. Yeah, maybe it's like only a way to reorganize the top 10 picks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it, it's a, it's just the top 10 picks go by this point system. And everybody after that is just by by uh, by record. Yeah, by, yeah. By record. like Milwaukee. Yeah. Should they be penalized because they played really, really hard for 150 games? And then all of a sudden they're out of it for 153. Games? You know what I mean? Would it be better than if they were bad and eliminated in August? No. I would like to see what the change is between like 10 and 20 because he's got, I think he's got like 20 teams on here. So I, I like it a little bit for the, the top 10 though because, um, you know, there's this interesting tension with if you get eliminated really early, you're a bad team, but you also get more chances for wins, right? Exactly. <laughs> in, in, more chances for points in this. So you could just be a team like Washington that got eliminated really early um, and only got, went seven and 19, and that's terrible. 
but they still got 14 points in this because, you know, they got eliminated so early. And I do think that it does interesting things in terms of incentivizing trying and 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 putting it together a team that is going to be good because you're also looking for next year and what you're really supposed to be doing when you suck as a team is trying to put together teams players that'll be good for next year right <laughs> you're not really you should you don't want to be putting a team out there that just sucks to you know to lose to get a chance at the first pick you'd rather they were like always trying so this seems to incentivize always trying always trying to put a better product out there so that they know what they've got next year. So I like that part of it. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't know if as constructed, it's a perfectly built system for baseball, but I think it could be better than what we already have as is. And with further refinement could be amazing because I do think anything that will get teams to continue bringing young players up when they're ready, as opposed to sitting back and waiting that extra several weeks or even for the last couple months of the season. I know it was better in 2022. We actually saw teams on the bubble bring more players up. Hopefully, you know, the different rule changes. The system, right, think, the new, the new system for Rookie of the Year. Like maybe, maybe that helps too, but I think anything that continues to encourage that is ultimately good for, well, it's good for the players themselves, but it's also good for us as, as people watching the game to see the most exciting young players on the field as soon as they're ready instead of having to wait part of a season sometimes for those uh, debuts to occur. But thanks a lot for sending that email, Jeff. Always looking for ways to uh, change the rules and and tweak the game to make it uh, better for everyone. Let's get to our next event. We did this last year. We had a movie draft last year. And instead of doing a movie draft again, we're going to do a holiday music draft. And really any song is going to be eligible because some people celebrate different holidays. Some people don't celebrate holidays at all. Basically, what's on your playlist this time of year? If you have people over to your house and you're going to play music, what is on that playlist? So anything can be drafted. Multiple versions of the same song can be selected. So when your pick comes up, make sure you specify song title and artist. So that way, if someone else wants a different version of that song, they can still choose that. So, Britt, you get the first pick. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know okay. how you get the first pick. I don't know you how the I did first either. Pick. All right, guys, I gotta go. All I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's on my list. The Mike Trout of Christmas songs, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Bill. That's good. I I do have one that I want more than any other. So do I get second pick? Yeah, I'll give you the second pick. That's fine. Woo! Last Christmas. Wham! Wham. That was George my Michael. Pick. That was yeah, <laughs> those are Rams. my two favorite. We've done yeah. them already. <laughs> wow! So Eno's list has been emptied at the. Uh, no, I've got, I've got some more research. I'm just only excited for that one. <laughs> those are the best two, I think, and yeah. then everyone else. The field. That's true. I think people have a, a really people who like traditional Christmas music have a very negative attitude towards new songs that, that come into existence around Christmas. And uh, I I don't have that attitude. I, I like I like mixing it up. I a like that we we often have like the pop the pop Christmas list is one of the, the number one played. It is good. I don't want to tip my hand, but there's some good recent ones. Yeah, and I'm gonna take two. I got two picks here being on the end, so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, take advantage of uh, this draft position. So the first one is a great big sled by the Killers, one of my favorite uh, modern bands. Just a original song i don't think anyone else has performed it so i don't know if it's even available for someone else to draft it from some from another artist but pretty sure that's a, a killer's original pretty cool video they put out for that i don't know 10 or so years ago when they first published the song and then i'll take fits in the tantrums santa stole my lady it's another one that's got kind of a uh, just a huh? i don't know kind of a playful playful little story in it so fits in the tantrums for some reason that first album they had that actually sounds like winter music to me Throughout, I don't know if it came out in the winter or I listened to it when it was freezing outside a while back. Yeah, that's probably it. I associate the entire album with being a Christmas song, and it's, well, it's not, but Santa Stole My Lady is a Christmas song that they actually released, so I'll take that with my second round pick. Nice. By the way, I expect this to be a graphic uh, on Christmas that people can vote on who won this draft. <laughs> yeah, we could probably make that and probably make a little Spotify playlist for anybody who really wants to dig into our uh, favorite holiday songs. All right, I'm going to go Darlene Love next. Wait. My absolute favorite song. Don't I get to go or no? No, you got to no. go. But it's okay. I'll take her. I'm not going to take that one. <laughs> I won't take it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go whimsical off of that second pick of his. Uh, I'm gonna go Santa Claus is coming to town. That's uh, just a classic. But I'm gonna take the Jackson Five version uh, just to to spruce it up a little bit. That's a good one. And obviously, I already tipped my hand. Darlene Love, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. Great power ballad. <laughs> nice. I'm aware that <laughs> Derek is laughing. It's a great, great song. Oh. All right. You get I'm, another I'm, one, Brie. I'll spare list. you all, but it's now going through my head. Such a good one. Such a good one. <laughs> all right, Britt. You, get you another got pick. another one. Start oh, yeah, that's three. right. I get to, wait, I get to go back to back? All right, then I'm going to go classic Bing Crosby. White Christmas. There you go. Yeah, that's a it's a good pick. I mean, I think that's a that's a more timeless selection yeah. for this draft. Got to balance it out. Um, I'm gonna stay with the pop uh, for this one and go with "Thank God It's Christmas" by Queen. I, I heard that. The, I like that one. It's a good one. All right, that's a good pick. I've got two here being on the end again. I'm gonna get a. Got a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers track. I'm gonna get Christmas all over again. My third rounder. Okay. It's in a few right. movies. I think it's in Home Alone Two, if I remember correctly. <laughs> the greatest Christmas great movie Christmas of all time, as, yeah. we, as we determined <laughs> last year. And for my second pick, oof, I gotta choose wisely here because the stuff I really, really want is gonna start to disappear. I am going to take. Run Rudolph Run by Chuck Berry. That's a also great one. in Home also Alone. Also Home Alone when they're racing in the airport, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Two Home Alone picks. Love it. Yeah. Good soundtrack. I'm taking this a little bit more for the artist than the art. Uh, Hall and Oates, Jingle Bell Rock. I was just listening to that yesterday, and I thought if Doug Glanville like were in this draft, he would be uh, all over that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Doug Landville loves all of those. Okay. Just <laughs> listening to this this morning. Happy Christmas. The war is over. John Lennon. Ah, Happy Christmas. War is over. Day. Yep. A lot of different versions, but I'm going to go John Lennon. And then I'm going to go with the... I get two again, right? Um, yep. The classic uh, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Brenda Lee. Yep. Okay. That's another another Home Alone song. Yeah. Oh, Home Alone. How many just... times combined have we watched the first two Home Alone movies between the three of us? Oh, my God. Well, I can even tell you when they play these songs. The Rock Around the Christmas Tree was when he was <laughs> pretending that they were having a party at the house. And he's like playing with the strings of like the cardboard Michael Jordan. Uh, yep. Which is really sad. This one's not going to win. I'm, I'm going to this might lose me the, the public bet. But I'm just going to be real because this is one that we play a lot at the house. And this is uh, this is. It's an album, uh, Windham Hill. You mm, ever not familiar? Windham Hill. It's just like Christmas music. Yeah, it's like what it we play us. in the house. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> yeah. You get me back on that one. <laughs> it's not even one. I don't even know that. Like half of them don't even have uh, have uh, singing in it. It's like uh, it's Windham Hill. Anyway, uh, some people will know what I'm talking about. A lot of instrumentals. It's totally, totally a, uh, like a granddad pick right there. Okay, well, hey, you got to make everyone happy uh, on the holidays. <laughs> um, I'm going to grab a track that I'm well, mostly familiar with because of Christmas Vacation. I'll take uh, Meli Kaliki Maka. It's a Bing Crosby, so I'll get that at the end of round five. Uh, and I will take, for my sixth and final pick, I'm going to take Johnny Mathis's It's Beginning to Look Like Christmas. I like this. This is a good playlist I got going here. One more for Eno. One more for me. I was kind of looking through my my list that I did. Yeah. I'll go with Christmas Tree Farm by Taylor Swift. Wow. <laughs> Didn't see that one. <laughs> little, little pandering to the crowd there. There might be some Swifties out there that are into it. It was either that or Christmas Lights by Coldplay. But uh, Coldplay's <laughs> fallen out of my, out of my uh, rotation. All right, Britt, you got one more. I'll be home for Christmas, Bing Crosby. Not to hit you with back-to-back Bing, but I'm going to hit you with two Bings. Cause... And none of us picked the problematic, baby, it's cold outside. No, no one did. <laughs> and also, I thought you were going to say, you know, that I want a hippopotamus for Christmas song because you have little kids that maybe they played that because I uh... absolutely hate that song. Can we pick one song that we could just punt to the moon? That's my pick, you know? Oh, I think Baby Shark. 
Is there a Christmas version? <laughs> a Christmas song. A Christmas song. I know, but if we were talking about punting a song to the moon, I would. it might be Baby Shark. There's that one Christmas song that you hate? Uh, the Little Drummer Boy. Oh, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. <laughs> I would punt I that song out of the stadium. <laughs> wow. What do you hate about Little Drummer Boy? I just don't song. like it. I yeah, think I it's one of the worst songs ever written, and I think it... <laughs> that's how I feel about I Lance really Lance hate it. Song. I agree on the drummer. I guess I kind of hate I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yes, I am. Because I think it's like, um, I think it used to be one of those ones that like, uh, you know, the, you know, like the singing, uh, singing fish thing? The Billy Bass? Yeah, you know the Billy Bass? Yeah. It's a bad last minute gift, by the way, if you need one. I, I think I, I think there was like something that like sang, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus that was like that, that was maybe given in my household or received in my household and so we had to hear it constantly and i was and i was like i, I never want to hear that song again no. no that's that's fair so we will pop up a little graphic with the pics also it's a little problematic dude it's a little bit like baby it's cold outside i got yeah i saw mommy kissing are we are, is this adultery or what? <laughs> right i always wanted to know that too like tell me more is yeah, right. what's going on? Is this a one day a year affair? Is this, yeah, right. is this you know what I mean? Did this break up this kid's family? Is this his last happy What Christmas? does Miss Claus think of this? Yeah. You know? Exactly. <laughs> the series of questions you both have that I've, I've never taken the time to think about for this particular yeah, well, song. Well, don't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and who was like, you know what? This will get people in the holiday spirit. Like, no, it won't. Nothing right. <laughs> says, have Merry Christmas. Like, kissing someone you're not supposed to. Yeah right. Yeah, the baby gets cold outside. Like the she's trying to leave, bro. I really can't <laughs> just let her go. Uh, yeah, no means no, man. Jesus. Yeah, it's didn't age well. There's some songs that need to disappear, and uh, <laughs> that's probably one of them. That's gonna wrap up our holiday music draft. It's gonna wrap up this podcast for the holiday season as well. We are all off next week, so I hope everybody out there has a safe and happy holiday season and a happy new year as well. And whether you're celebrating old traditions or starting new ones, I hope they uh, they bring you some joy because it's been a weird couple of years. So hopefully if the holiday season's been different for you for the last couple of years, this is back to air quotes normalcy since everyone claims their family's not normal. I don't know how that's even possible. Not everyone can't be abnormal. That's impossible. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Droli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns in January. Always got the green light here. Green light.